the documentary KPFA on air, covering the founding of KPFA up till 2000, and the CD collection Three Generations of KPFA, featuring over 28 hours of historic KPFA broadcasts. Visit kpfa.org for more information and to take advantage of these special web exclusives. This is KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno. Also online at kpfa.org. It's just 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. The shadow out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is a Tuesday, October the 5th, 2010, and we're still in a fundraising marathon. We're not supposed to use the word marathon anymore. I have no idea why that is. I used to love to play a, a song. It was titled Marathon. It's in uh, my favorite musical, uh, Jacques Brel is Alive and Well and Living in Paris. When I'm really desperate at four in the morning, I turn that uh, old musical on. For some reason or another, it, <laughs> it restores my, my faith in, uh, what is it, uh, in the fact that somewhere something is happening that's fascinating and interesting and something that'll wake me up. Anyway, I was trying and trying to think of something that might inspire our listeners to call the radio station and become members of this institution, send their cash, their checks, their credit card, whatever, anything to keep the pot boiling. You know how that is, folks. We keep the store open even when there's nothing on the shelves because this is the only place, you know, we can go to uh, when things get hairy. Uh, maybe things aren't dreadful enough. Not dreadful enough for you, is that it? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I was trying to think of incentives. I was thinking I, I could promise not to sing ever. Then I thought, well, I suppose I could tell people that I will, uh, I will, I definitely will post nude photographs of the staff here at KPFA. I'll put them on our website. I'm threatening you, yes. If you don't send the money. Then I thought about that again just a minute ago. Here, oh my God, that's not funny, Jenny. Oh, what a stupid thing to say. The use of the internet to humiliate people is no joke. Uh, apparently it's murder. It has happened a number of times already. Uh, 
I was fascinated with this recent tragedy. The young man, 18 years old, the lovely young man, keeps showing him playing his violin. Uh, he jumped in the, jumped off the George Washington Bridge because his pals, his little pals, put pictures of him having um, relationships with uh, another young man, put them on the uh, net for all to see. And I listened to the talk shows, Bill Maher and such folks, and they all said, well, it isn't actually um, homophobia. That didn't seem to be the uh, the the center of that situation, at least. Uh, I think what, what they concluded was that these kids, um, they were just trying to humiliate their friend. Heterosexual pictures would have done just as well. Uh, the young don't seem to um, <laughs> have any specific uh, specific prejudices. They they uh, they don't seem to think these things through. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, they just wanted to make fun of the guy, but apparently, the fact that it was a homosexual relationship that was portrayed that seemed to hurt the young man. Uh, oh, anyway, the national media. Just keeps showing his picture playing that violin, and I find that strangely offensive for some reason, because I imagine his parents uh, looking at it, and uh, I, I find it somehow heroic, yes, uh, going off the George Washington Bridge, sorry, seems to me, very sophisticated young man, uh, I was listening to Bill Maher this morning, the comedian. I was trying to psych myself up and think, uh, you know, where is satire? How can we make the world safe for satire? Where are the jokes, folks? Um, you know how that is. Uh, I, I listened to Bill Maher. He was, well, his spins on homosexuality are... Uh, just a little, just a little, a, a little creepy. Uh, he looked at Cornell West, the uh, professor Cornell West, you know, the philosopher. And he said to him, he said that, uh, he said to Cornell, he said, black people uh, don't have gaydar, Cornell. And uh, Cornell West did not know what he meant. The word gaydar went right past him. And Ariana Huffington leaned over and whispered in Cornell West's ear. She said, that means recognizing gay people. You know, you have radar for gay persons. And uh, Cornell West uh, smiled, but he still didn't seem to register what it was they were telling him. I thought that was pretty funny, actually. Uh, because, of course, Cornel West is certainly, uh, how shall I put it, uh, sexually sophisticated. That's all I'm going to say. I wouldn't say anything else, yes. He's certainly not unaware, because that is his lifestyle, but never mind. Uh, the gossip always cheers me up. I tell you, you know, I used to sneer at... Uh, these frivolous, um, what do you call that, celebrity nonsense, celebrity roast. But frankly, I, I like the um, personalities that float around on the media. They distract me from the great horror of history. I 
listen to some of the interviews with Tony Curtis, uh, old Tony Curtis in his mid-1980s. He died this week. Uh, Bernie Schwartz was his name from the Bronx. I thought of his famous scene in Spartacus. You remember back in 1960s, there was a movie with Kirk Douglas called Spartacus. Tony Curtis played the slave Antoninus. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous young thing. Now, his motivation in the movie, he has motivation to leave, run away from his Roman master Crassus, played by Laurence Olivier. Um, many of sneer, yes, when Crassus makes sexual overtures to Antoninus, uh, he's bathing him, uh, <laughs> Antoninus uh, reacts, well, the next time we see him, he's with Spartacus. Uh, yes, he wants to be part of the uh, crusade against Rome. Now, Tony Curtis and Laurence Olivier objected when that scene, the uh, scene in the bath, was eliminated. They left, wait a minute, they left some of it in, yes, but they cut several lines because... <laughs> The censors, you know, they thought it wouldn't uh, wouldn't go over, or that uh, it was inappropriate anyway. Um, the audience, of course, then doesn't know why Antoninus is escaping to join Spartacus, and so Olivier and and uh, Curtis objected. Not that it did them any good. The scene has been restored in recent years. I was delighted to see. Tony Curtis said he knew that Laurence Olivier would be happy about this if he if he were still alive. It would cheer him up. Uh, the lines referred to uh, our sexual choices. And I remember being, you'll forgive me, shocked the first time I heard the scene because for me, imagery is everything. Uh, uh, language, too. You know, these are, uh, this is what I live on. I, I do word work, but... The lines were something to the effect, um, Crassus asks the young man, uh, Antoninus, uh, whether he eats oysters or snails, which does he prefer? He says that he uh, eats both oysters. He says, yes, do you like uh, oysters? And Antoninus says, yes. And he says, snails. And Antoninus says, no. And Olivier says that, well, he eats both. Now, those images struck me as a young woman. I found them absolutely gross, but that's just me. Um, Tony Curtis seemed to think they were poetic. Interesting. It reminded me of the recent series, Rome, that I still look at sometimes because I think it's 23 hours of the most terrific melodrama I've ever seen. Talk about what is that? Making history come alive. Uh, the current series, of course, is full of curious antiquities. What was it, the one I saw the other night? Oh, yes, Mark Anthony. He's trying to point out that there has been a, a quirk or a kink or um, something unusual in the story that a man is telling. And he says, now here's the onion. I just love that. Apparently somebody uh, found in the old texts that the onion represented uh, the something that changed things, that altered the perception. Uh, anyway, uh, 
I just love Rome. I tried to watch the new show Boardwalk Empire, and I've gotten into it. I haven't quite digested it yet. I find it a little more interesting than The Sopranos because it's the 1920s. And I, I can, if nothing else, I can watch the, uh, the sets, the costumes, all the historical stuff. It's just terrific, uh, verisimilitude, that's the word they use, yes. Uh, like Pillars of the Earth recently. Uh, these set designers and these costumers, they, they're, um, just amazing. If nothing else, these history lessons are wonderful for the kids, whether or not the stories themselves are of much use, I don't know. But uh, these, what do you call that, uh, recreations, these time trips, I think are super, just wonderful for the uh, young people to check out. Uh, actually, what is it I wanted to do today? I wanted to tell you, uh, first of all, that you have to send us some money. And, uh, what is it? Um, I was going to do my, my plan next year is to try to get subscriptions to the New Yorker. I know that some of our, uh, <laughs> I won't call them competitors, your subscriptions to the New Yorker because I find that I'm an addict. I don't know. Several people have said to me that I, uh, really shouldn't limit myself to the New Yorker magazine, but I find that it's always at the top of my list. Because everything that I want to share seems to find its way into the New Yorker and always with a specially good twist. You know how that is. Uh, just a, uh, the, the tone, the way of looking at things. For example, uh, their treatment of this guy, Mark Zuckerman, the guy who created um, Facebook. There's a movie about him called The Social Network. Okay. And in the September issue of the New Yorker, you can find the face of Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg opens up by Jose Antonio Vargas. This is fascinating. Yes, it's all about this 18-year-old who became a billionaire when he invented Facebook. The question, of course, in the movie is whether or not he lost his friends in order to do it, uh, lost his soul. Uh, let's see, he went to Harvard, you can always tell a Harvard man, but you can't tell him much. Another New Yorker dated October the 4th reviews the movie, and I guess I'm going to have to go and see it. It's written by Aaron Sorkin. He's the guy who wrote The West Wing. Okay, so this is at the top of my buzz list. You know how that goes. Uh, I think for the younger set, this movie is a kind of necessity because uh, according to David Denby in The New Yorker of October the 4th, this movie is a work of art. Okay, uh, you heard it here. Uh, now, it says here that Sorkin, the writer and the director, have selected from known facts and interpreted them freely, and they have created a work of art. Accuracy is a secondary issue. Anyway, um, it says the movie is absolutely emblematic of its time and place. The social network is shrewdly perceptive about things like class and manners and ethics 
and the emptying out of self that accompanies a genius's absorption in his work. Wow. <laughs> anyway, David Denby says that the movie has the hard-charging excitement of a very recent revolution, the surge and sweep of big money moving fast and chewing people up in its wake. Well, hell, I'm, I'm pretty much like Betty White, you know, and I, once I took one good look at it, it did seem to me like an incredible waste of time, but that's just because I'm old and I like things edited and synthesized because I'm in a hurry and I don't have time. I, I like to know that at least one person or editor or grown up, you know, has, um, glanced over the material. I I don't know why everyone is so anxious um what is it for us to have this this new democracy. I I know that it's a good idea and I'm willing to go along with it up to a point, but I still like it um when things are what's the word? uh, uh synthesized, synthesized. Yes. Uh these kids in the movie are what do you call that? New Agers. And Sorkin, the way he's written it, uh, he has the people in his movie, what is it they do? I've, I've seen them, I've watched them. They talk so fast I can't follow them. They overturn one another's half-finished sentences. They finish each other's sentences. They uh, they know what the other person is thinking. Uh, now, According to Denby, the script for The Social Network is his best work, better than West Wing. And he says it's witty, and uh, he says that uh, the dark side is provided by the the uh, director. Now, the director, David Fincher, is somebody that I am uncomfortable with. He directed Fight Club, <laughs> Zodiac. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, fascinating stuff. He, the director, according to this reviewer, is a master of sullen menace, convulsive violence. He loves creating an aura of the magical and the uncanny. However, it says he treats Sorkin's real-world situations with extreme delicacy and precision. Fincher, that is, David Fincher, the director, has always been obsessed with outsiders, rebels. Now in mid-career, he's transferred that obsession into a subtler, more telling form with both comic and tragic implications, blah, blah. Anyway, the book, the book that the movie's taken from was written by Ben Mezrich, M-E-Z-R-I-C-H. Now, Ben Mesrich also went to Harvard, so he knows whereof he speaks. The book was published in 2009, and it was called The Accidental Billionaires. Well, I don't think they were an accident, but what do I know? Uh, they certainly were a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, anyway, according to David Denby, the book and the movie... Lay on the Harvard lore a little thick, just a little thick for, for this reviewer. Uh, the suburban co-eds uh, truck in for parties and, you know, uh, I always think of 
earlier periods. I, I think of old movies like Brideshead Revisited, you know, all the young men and in this movie, young women, uh, they're all high on being young and cutting edge. Um, the terrific excitement, he talks about the terrific excitement of these young uh, Harvard guys being punched for one of the all-male final clubs. You know, that sort of club, the kind that George Bush was in. <laughs> Off-campus social sites for the chosen elite. Think of all those boys in Britain. They belong to all those clubs. And then they thought about it. And then they went over and were spies for the Soviet. Anyway, insiders, outsiders. It's all frenzied, slightly mad self-importance. But according to Denby, the filmmakers don't satirize Harvard. They make it, well, let's see. It says here that... uh I guess they're saying that this is the real thing. This is the real world. Uh, what was it Oscar Wilde used to say? Uh, never make fun of the upper classes, uh, darling. Only people who can't get into it do that. Oh, yes. Um, anyway, this frantic boy's world uh, gives me the creeps, frankly. Uh the violence in this movie is emotional, not physical. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm still not sure whether this is, what is it, a cautionary tale or whether this will just turn on the young folks and they will want to emulate this guy. Uh, he's obviously, Zuckerman, Mark Zuckerman, is obviously the man of the hour, uh, Let's see. The reviewer says that uh, Zuckerman is audacious and funny, but his self-assurance is breathtakingly hostile. He said, then, after these haughty riffs, you get a tiny impulse of regret quivering across his lips. In other words, he may be sorry he sold his soul to the devil, if that's what he's done. I heard the real Mark Zuckerman interview the other day, and he didn't sound depressed to me. He's obviously one of the brightest. Whether he's one of the best, I don't know. Uh, in the movie, he's uh, prickly, over-precise, condescending. Uh, now, Sorkin, the writer, has created an emotionally stunted, closed-off young man. And the director has pulled something touching uh, out of it, I think. I think this will depend on who you are. Uh, I try to have as much sympathy as I can for the young, but it's not always easy. No, of course it's easy. Uh, uh, according to the reviewer, these young men turn women into objects, even prey. Uh, the movie is sparked by a bitterly comic irony, a worldwide social revolution capable of rattling authoritarian governments. It began with nothing more urgent than the desire of two middle-class Jewish boys to be considered cool at college, to meet girls without having to endure the humiliation of campus mixers. There you go. That's what it's all about. I remember that. Actually, I loved campus mixers. Mixers. I went to uh, three sock hops my first semester when I was 17 years old and... uh 
being an audacious and aggressive female, I thought that uh, it was fun to meet people in person in the flesh. Apparently, today's young men prefer to be, what you call it, uh, virtual, not to actually have to deal with uh, other human beings. Uh, anyway, apparently this new impersonality is affecting everyone in our culture. Facebook, like Mark Zuckerman, is a paradox, a website that celebrates the aura of intimacy while providing the relief of distance, substitutes bodiless sharing, the thrills of self-created celebrityhood, substitutes those for close encounters of the first kind. Now, the reviewer says that Karl Marx, you remember old Karl Marx, he suggested that in the capitalist age, we began to treat one another as commodities. There you go. I saw a show the other night. I saw an old gentleman being interviewed. Um, mm, he said that, yes, at the end of the week, he liked to buy his sex, his tobacco and his uh, liquor. He, he just went out to the street and he just bought what he needed. Uh-huh. That makes sense, I suppose. Um, now, the social network suggests that we are treating one another as packets of information. There you go. Now, I can't, I couldn't agree more. Mark Zuckerberg, Berg, as interpreted by this film, comes off as a binary personality. As far as he's concerned, you're either for him or you're against him. Either you have information that he can use or you don't. Apart from that, he's not interested. My God. About ten years ago, I found in my diary my notes to myself. I found myself writing something just like that. It was quite cold and unpleasant. You know how that is. You you uh, you divide up your friends. Uh, actually, I did come to the conclusion finally that... Uh, uh, you know, what is intelligence compared to the heart that I preferred to have close friends who had open hearts. But at the same time, I did tend to categorize people uh, in terms of what they had to offer information-wise. Uh, now, that's cold, I guess. Uh, I certainly did the same thing in college. You know, you remember when Raisa Gorbachev came to this country and she found out that Nancy Reagan was not her intellectual peer. And she she cut her off, you know. She asked her where she'd gone to school. Anyway, check this out. The New Yorker for October the 4th reviews the movie. And then there's another article called The Face of Facebook. The New Yorker for September 20th that... Uh, tells you all about the background of Mark Zuckerman, who seems to be a fascinating guy. I don't know. It seems to me that he's now about 27. And uh, if he can take this movie, which is pretty much uh, pretty much a crucifixion, <laughs> then he must be a man of some guts. Uh, anyway, um, it certainly rips his youth to shreds. Uh, 
Let's see. Teach us to care and not to care. That seems to me the conclusion of this movie. Uh, anyway, back to Palo Alto. He's gone back to Palo Alto. And uh, the universal success of Facebook is something we can't argue with. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's hard for me to understand why this is so, what do you call that, uh, such a powerful instrument. I think it must be my age. I need you to call in to KPFA, darlings. I, I should have stopped five minutes ago to start asking you, please, to call in and subscribe to this network. Remember, KPFA is the gift. That's all we have to offer. <laughs> Just us. The people on the phone will give you a list of all the things you can buy. Uh, I think they even have a tape of my stuff somewhere, but... I'll talk about that next week. I'll be on again next Tuesday. By then, this marathon will be over. And hopefully, all of you will have subscribed. And I thank you, thank you, thank you, all those of you who called in and subscribed to the station. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till next week, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Her father was assassinated in 1996. Her aunt, Pakistani Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto, was assassinated in 2007. Her uncle is now the president of Pakistan. Her powerful new book is Songs of Blood and Sword, a daughter's memoir. She's the fascinating Fatima Bhutto, Afghan-born Pakistani poet and writer, who will provide a true insider's revelations of her family and contemporary Pakistan on October 5th, a Tuesday, in North Berkeley at the Hillside Club, 22. 86 Cedar Street. There's wheelchair access. Advanced tickets for the KPFA benefit are only $12 at independent bookstores or through brownpapertickets.com. Full info 